Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 to 35, Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, and 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. This week's Faith Connections lesson is our final session in the series regarding hard sayings of the Old Testament. This week, we'll be looking at Old and New Testament scriptures that focus on forgiveness. In a cursory reading of the Old Testament, and particularly the passage we will look at today in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we might be inclined to ask, does God not forgive some people? Today, we might ask the same question, wondering if God's forgiveness extends to all people everywhere, no matter what sin or sins they've committed. Before we get too far into the story of 1 Samuel chapter 15, I would like to take a step back into the story of Israel in order to understand the setting of our passage for today. Not long after the Israelites had escaped from Egypt with Moses leading the people, Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16, records that a desert tribe known as the Amalekites made war with Israel. The Amalekites, understandably, did not want the Israelites to enter Canaan through their land and were determined to block them from moving forward into God's plan and will for Israel. Without provocation, the Amalekite clans attacked. With God's help, Joshua led Israel to defeat the Amalekites. Israel, however, did not wipe out their enemies in that first battle. Exodus 17, verse 14, records the words of God to Moses. Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Multiple generations passed before God's judgment on Amalek would be fulfilled. From Moses to Joshua, through all the judges, the Amalekites remained in Canaan. The, the command to exterminate the Amalekites finally came from the prophet Samuel to Israel's first king, King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3, records God's instruction through Samuel to King Saul. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belong to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Sadly, Saul reinterpreted God's totally destroy order to mean destroy everything that's despised and weak but spare everything that's good. 
Every parent who's listening to this video today would agree that partial obedience is disobedience. If you or I are only doing part of what God commands, you and I are actually being disobedient to our God. Saul was disobedient to the command of God regarding the Amalekites. After defeating the Amalekite army, Saul did not kill the Amalekites king Agag, and Saul kept alive the best sheep, cattle, calves, and lambs. God, of course, knew every detail of Saul's disobedience, and he spoke his word to the prophet Samuel. Samuel stayed up awake all night long in prayer. The next morning, he headed to confront Saul for his disobedience. When confronted, Saul's first response was the blame game attached to false righteousness. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 15, Saul said, my soldiers brought the sheep and cattle from the Amalekites for a sacrifice to the Lord. This act of disobedience on Saul's part set in motion God's process of eventually removing Saul from Israel's throne. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23b says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. With that background, let's pick up the conversation between Samuel and King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 to 35. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instruction. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel returned uh, to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him in chains and he thought surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so your uh, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul 
king over Israel. When Samuel confronted Saul with his disobedience, Saul admitted that he had sinned or failed and had violated or trespassed the Lord's command. Saul's confession used two different Hebrew words for sin. The first is translated, have sinned in the NIV. Another translation would be, have failed. This Hebrew word is the broadest coverall Hebrew term for sin. There's no demonstration in these words that Paul felt remorse for his sin. The second verb is translated violated in the NIV. Another translation for this Hebrew word is trespassed. This has the idea that Saul had not kept within the boundary of God's order. As you read Saul's arguments with Samuel and then his confession, you can hear similar words today. Maybe you've heard something like what Paul is saying here. Samuel, you know how, how it is. I did my best, but I'm only human. I couldn't do everything God asked of me. It wasn't my fault. It was the soldiers who kept back some of the sheep and cattle for, for sacrifice to your God. I was afraid of them, so I gave in. What God called rebellion in 1 Samuel 15, 23, Saul was calling a simple failure, not following exactly, but mostly being human. Come on, Samuel, ease up a little bit, King Saul would have said. In verse 25, Saul begged forgiveness of Samuel. It may be obvious, but it's important to say that only God can forgive disobedience. It seems that for Saul, forgiveness would only mean that Samuel would agree to accompany him back to Gilgal, where Saul would be able to save face before the elders of Israel. I am wanting you to see many ways Saul's confession is lacking in authenticity. He was not willing to acknowledge that he really did anything wrong. Saul was quick to blame others. He put on a false religiosity. I wanted to offer sacrifices with these animals I saved. His desire for forgiveness was so that he could get something. He didn't realize that the forgiveness he needed with God was available at the heart level through true repentance and remorse. You see, Paul's confession was for convenience only. He had rejected the word of the Lord, and now God had rejected Saul as king over Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 26. Let's talk for a moment about God's rejection of Saul as king of Israel. You might remember that when God chose Saul to be king, 1 Samuel chapter 10 reveals many things that God did to prepare Saul spiritually for his role as, as Israel's new king. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9 says that God changed Saul's heart. Verse 10 says that the Spirit of God came on Saul in power. Verse 11 says that the people recognized that Saul was a changed man. Saul had been made new 
by the power of God. But somewhere along the line, Saul had turned away from God. Such a turn is a heart issue before it becomes sinful action. Jesus later revealed that sin always begins in the heart. Saul had turned from God in his heart. The disobedience we find in our passage for today stemmed from this turning of Saul's heart away from God. But don't miss this. God's permanent rejection of Saul as king does not mean that Saul would not forgive or that God would not forgive Saul personally for his sin if Saul would turn from his sin and return to God. Saul could have been forgiven of sin, and we don't know if he ever did that, but there was still a consequence for his sin, the losing of his throne. Samuel turned to leave Saul, and Saul reached out and grabbed the hem of, Saul, of Samuel's robe, and it tore, 1 Samuel 15, 27. Samuel interpreted this tearing of his robe as God's visual affirmation of the prophetic word he had just spoken. The Lord had torn the kingdom of Israel from Saul, verse 28, and given it to a better neighbor. Samuel does not reveal who that better neighbor was at this point, but we come to know later that he means David, son of Jesse of Bethlehem. Soon, Samuel would anoint David to be Israel's king to follow Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 16. But David's actual ascension to the throne would be years, years in the future. While Saul's decision to return to God and receive forgiveness was still a possibility, God had decided firmly to take the kingship from him and give it to another. Once again, we see a window into Saul's heart in verse 30, when he asked Samuel to honor him by returning with him to the elders of Israel so that he could worship God. But notice the pronoun used in 1 Samuel 15, verse 30, so that I may worship the Lord your God. Saul's words revealed that he was not following God with his heart. He was doing a religious act to Samuel's God. God is not after such, such religious actions. Rather, he desires obedience coming from a place of heart love. Samuel consented and returned with Saul. Once near King Agag, Samuel finished the job that Saul and his soldiers had not done. Having King Agag of the Amalekites brought to him, Samuel put Agag to death by his sword. Let me take a minute here to simply say that God always finds a way and a person to do his will on this earth. He may ask you to be the one to accomplish his will. If you disobey and turn from him, God will find another. Let's be quick to say yes to God in full obedience. Saying yes to God is actually what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Samuel and Saul parted ways that day and had nothing more to do with each other. The scripture says that Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord regretted making Saul king over Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 35. As we continue our study of God's forgiveness, we will now move to two New Testament passages. 
The first passage is found in Acts chapter 13. I will mention two different cities named the same name, Antioch. That is Antioch of Syria and Antioch of Pisidia. The church in Antioch of Syria had been obedient to the Holy Spirit by commissioning Paul and Barnabas to do missionary work. They sent them to preach the good news of Jesus in the Jewish synagogues throughout Asia Minor and modern-day Turkey, according to Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. In their travels, they arrived at another city named Antioch, this one in Pisidia. Antioch of Pisidia was a Roman colony located on the imperial road leading to Galatia. Paul's method was to enter a city and evangelize near the synagogue first, where there were people who already knew of the living God, that is, to Jews and to Gentile God-fearers. On Paul's first Sabbath in Antioch of Pisidia, he entered the synagogue. The leaders of the synagogue invited him to share a word of exhortation. Our first New Testament passage for this lesson is a brief excerpt of Paul's message that day. Most of the people in the synagogue that day were likely hearing for the first time any details about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Listen with fresh ears what Paul had to say about forgiveness and faith in Jesus to those Jews and Gentile God-fearers. Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Paul's message was simple. First, there is forgiveness of sins, that is, and that forgiveness comes through Jesus. Second, everyone, that is, everyone who believes is set free from original sin. Third and finally, justification or being made right before God was not possible under the law of Moses, but is now possible through Christ. Forgiveness is available to everyone and anyone who would turn to God through Jesus. Who your parents are doesn't matter. You and a king must come to God in the same pathway, Jesus. What sins you've committed in the past, they can't stop you. Forgiveness is possible no matter what you have done. How addicted to or trapped you are in sin, Listen to this good news. You can not only be forgiven, you can be set free from every sin. Jesus came not only to forgive your sins, but to transform you to be someone who lives a life pleasing to God. By way of history, notice that some believed Paul's message and some continued to reject God. Acts chapter 13, verse 43 revealed that many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas in their belief of Jesus. But in the verses that follow in Acts 13, verses 45 to 47, we learn that some Jews rejected God and his word. You see, forgiveness is available to all, but God sees the heart. Like King Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 
Some turned away from God and rejected him. And like in 1 Samuel 15, God turned away from those who rejected him and recommissioned Paul and Barnabas to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. Our study for this week ends with one more short passage found in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. That reads, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Once again, we see the same message. Forgiveness of sins and purification from all unrighteousness are possible for anyone who seeks God through Christ. What is unique here is that John referenced those who claimed to not have sinned. This is a direct rebuke of a group of people called Gnostics who denied their immoral actions were sinful. The Gnostics presented the early church with one of, the, one of its most dangerous challenges, the removal of the concept of sin from people's theology. The word sin is a key concept in 1 John. It's mentioned 27 times. For forgiveness and purification to come from God, a sinful people must acknowledge their real sin and turn from that sin, empowered by the very gracious love of God. In a day when people are denying the very existence of sin in their lives, we need to hold firmly to the truth of the word of God and the belief in God's gracious love and forgiveness offered to everyone and anyone who is willing to turn to him. See, God is faithful and just. He offers forgiveness to all who truly repent and believe. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.